There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. What's going on, everybody? I'm Tucker Tool, and you're listening to the HBCU 468 Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm coming to you live from Morehouse College in Atlanta. Can we start by making our Super Bowl predictions, please? Let's start with my co-host and world-renowned Bill Roden oh, in New York. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, Super Bowl. I like Los Angeles, definitely, coming from the NFC. And in the AFC, I think it's going to be uh, New England again. And Alana Bearfield from Xavier University <laughs> in New Orleans, down there in the boot, is on the line. What do you think, Alana? Oh, well, uh, Mr. Roden, I know that you said about New England, and I, I'm from there, but we're going to have to rep my Saints, of course, who that nation. Um, as you see, that he, they had 10 consecutive wins. They were on a roll, lost to Dallas Cowboys recently. But I think they're going to bring that fire and dominate the field once again, and they're going to, you're going to see them at the Super Bowl. Yeah, we will, probably like in Section 205. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'm just letting both of y'all know that you're wrong. Because my Chicago Bears, oh God, Chuck, please, defensive player of the year, Khalil oh. Mack, will be in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs. And they'll be playing mm. right here in my backyard, Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta on February third. Chicago Bears, we'll have plenty of time. Khalil Mack, that he, yes. he plays quarterback too. Yes, <laughs> right. Khalil Mack is our quarterback. Exactly. <laughs> But we'll have plenty of time to determine that lineup. Today we're focusing on a more more of a somber somber story in the NFL and the way it handled their domestic violence policies and the players who mis- misbehave in public. We'll speak with senior NFL writer at Yahoo Sports, Kimberly Martin, about her latest story on former Kansas City Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt and linebacker Reuben Foster. In the second half of the show, we'll be talking about the TV sitcom Gronish. The show starring Yara Shahidi and Chloe and Halle Bailey details the lives of black students at a fictitious predominantly white university. It's about to enter its second season, and I think it's safe to say we have mixed opinions about it. But before we dive in, we have to talk about the Heisman Trophy Awards. This is college football's top honor. We're recording this podcast before the 84th Heisman ceremony takes place, so we wanted to make some predictions about who will win. All three candidates are men of color. Alabama's Tua Tungavailoa is Samoan. Ohio State's Dwayne Haskins and Oklahoma's Kyla Murray are both black. Alana, we can start with you. Who do you think will take home the trophy? I predict Dwayne Haskins for sure. You know, quarterback from Ohio State, he had two great performances at the end of his regular season. You know, one of them where he dominated against Michigan for 396 yards and six passing touchdowns. I think he deserves it. I think it's his time to shine. I think it's going to be Tua Tungavailoa because I'm learning how to pronounce his name, and I want to, you know. (laughs) Honestly, I do think it's going to be him. I I think um, Kyler is going to be a close second, 
but I, I think it's going to be uh, Tua, Tua from Alabama. And I, I agree with you, Bill, even though I, I was I was a little worried about your pronunciation of uh, Tua's name. But I think Tua's going to pull it out. And even though Tyler, I think, has a, has a good chance just because of the dominance of Alabama this season, I think they're going to have to give it to Tua. Mm-hmm. Moving on, the NFL is going through it right now. Over the past week, violent incidents involving former Kansas City Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt and linebacker Reuben Foster. Hunt has been involved in three different altercations this year. He appeared to get in a verbal sparring match with one man, shoved and kicked a woman he, he didn't know, and then punched another man over the summer. He initially lied to the Chiefs about kicking the woman and said that the NFL didn't talk to him about it immediately after it happened. Reuben Foster was released from the 49ers after his ex-girlfriend accused him of domestic violence battery. She later recanted, but last week told Good Morning America that her initial accusations were accurate and that she lied to help Foster. Here to help us make more sense of all of this is Kimberly Martin, senior NFL writer for Yahoo Sports. Welcome to the show, Kimberly. Thanks for having me on. But before we dive into the nitty-gritty of these situations, let's talk about process. How often do you cover domestic violence issues in the NFL, and where do you even start when you write about it? I, I, I don't cover them that often. I mean, these sort of cases pop up over the years. You know, obviously, the one of the most famous ones was the Ray Rice incident in 2014, I think despite maybe perception that might be out there, you know, we write about football. We we often don't delve into these waters until you have a situation with a Josh Brown or a case involving Ezekiel Elliott or Ray Rice. So I think for me personally, this is the first time I've, I've been in a position to write a column on a high-profile case because in previous spots, uh, you know, I, I didn't cover the Ravens as a beat writer, um, but you take note of these things, and they are a lot. They are alarming when they when they come up. What I don't want is for people to think that all football players are dangerous or that they're at home, and you know, this is you know an issue that's running rampant in the NFL. I know a lot of really good players, good people in the NFL, um, but it but one case is, is one too many, really. Hi, Kimberly. It's Alana. Um, you know, you just mentioned about Ray Rice, but I've been seeing on Twitter that they've been kind of comparing Hunt's case with Ray Rice's case about, you know, 2014, how he assaulted his wife. Um, what are the differences of these cases? Uh, well, the cases are similar in that there was a TMZ video. TMZ was able to obtain a video, so the world got to see it. Uh, I'm cautious about trying to make... Uh, a lot of comparisons about the nature of the, the, the abuse or whatever, you know, or the violence, I, w- I should say. Uh, because, and also, you know, Ray, that was his fiance at the time. This with Cream Hunt, he, he said he, he said on ESPN he hadn't met the woman before. So it's not Kareem Hunt's situation. It's not the domestic violence case that 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 we kind of were talking about with Ray Rice or even Reuben Foster you know they were in an off again on again relationship she says at the time they were broken up but she'd gone to see him because he wanted to work on the relationship so to me the similarities stop there 
stop at the video. I think that's the big thing where where the public is seeing with their own eyes what transpired. Uh, because for some reason, words don't affect us the same way. We can read about what Ray Rice did, uh, but something about the visual just seems to raise uh, awareness and, and ring alarm bells for people. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kimberly, this is Bill. So, so uh, Hunt is 23 and Foster's 24, and um, mm-hmm. you know they're talented. They they they're they're under a lot of pressure, you know, relatively speaking. So, and, and the league is getting younger. So, does the NFL? Uh, do you think the NFL has to do more to help younger players? Yeah, you know, I think you have to know that the job is football, but you also have to understand that each player is going to be different. Each player comes from a different set of circumstances, and it, to me, it goes back all. It, kind of starts in, in college as well. You know, it's, it, I understand their job is to perform, but I think what we saw with, with Kareem Hunt, especially in the Ray Rice situation, is that the league was, was reactive. It yeah. was once this video came out, then the league was, was left to say, oh, wait, we, didn't, we weren't able to obtain that, or we, we didn't see this, this is new information. That's a reactive position. So... When it comes to, to younger players, I think there's a lot of things that the NFL and teams should, should be stressing as far as how to help them as people. You provide all sorts of nutrition, diet, you know, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, great facilities, you know, renowned doctors to treat the body. But you also have to consider and be really vigilant about understanding that there's a lot that happens with these players. And they're not always going to be forthcoming, but you you have to get to the bottom of what's going on behind the scenes with them. This is Tucker. And the, the cause of the incident wasn't clear. And reports say the woman who was shoved and kicked by her told the police she was thrown out because she wouldn't hook up with one of his friends. And his friend says she got kicked out for going crazy and calling him the N-word. How, how do you think he, he should have reacted if that was the case? Well, I'll, I'll just start. You know, I mean, I don't call the N-word. I'm not, I'm not running around trying to knock people out. Um, the, the thing that I found really troubling about the Kareem Hunt video was that if you watch the whole thing, there were at least, you know, it seemed like five, six, seven different opportunities for this situation to be diffused and for him to walk away. Right. And each time, you know, he was held back and each time he kept going, you know, he found a way to go back and then kick the girl when she was on the ground. You know, whatever's being reported about what she said, you know, I, I, I can't speak to that because I haven't been told that directly. So I don't want, I don't know. I won't, I won't say that's the truth or not or not the truth. I don't, I don't know if it is. Even so, you cannot put your hands on people. <laughs> I mean that it's a it's just basic. It's just basic fact. So I understand the N word is a highly charged word and it's offensive and it's racist. And she's in the, if, if she did in fact do that, then obviously I don't condone that. But as a high profile player in the league, but even just as a regular person, it's sort of like you have to. He has too much to lose in that situation. 
So every time somebody says something that's offensive, if somebody says the N-word every single day, you're going to go around knocking people out. You know what I'm saying? It's right. just, it's just right. you, can't, you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, you talk about restraint. You know, we, we, you know, on all the years you spent in, in locker rooms and you've been around fans, and you know, fans can say some pretty awful things. And some people think that just because you're a professional athlete, you know, everything's game. Or just because they get to go to a game where they pay their admission, they can say anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's really a troublesome thing. I mean, I, I guess I don't know the fellas. What do you think about that? You know, is just because somebody pays or just because you're a professional athlete, can people just say anything to you? No, no. You know, I'm sure Kareem Hunt has been called the N-word multiple times as he's played on the field. And we have never seen him or have any footage of seeing him going into the stands or having an altercation with the fans. So that's because this woman, um, and he was in an intimate setting, you know, where he probably wasn't being watched, even though he was. Um, he he chose to do the wrong thing, and that and I I don't think he would do that if he if he was on the field or in in a playing setting. And at the end of the day, with these players, is that they're in the they're in the spotlight, right? So you can't you represent the franchise, you represent your teammates, you represent everything about the league. You can't go around and just because somebody yelled out the N-word from the crowd to you when you're on the field, you're not about to go pick a fight with that person because your coach is going to get mad. At the end of the day, he was in the wrong. He shouldn't have put his hands on a woman or anyone, any person whatsoever. And just knowing that there's a video out there, he has to step up to the plate, and what he did was with the Lisa Salters video, but it didn't still explain why he did it. And that worries me on his state of mind. And that goes back to the mental health of what we talked about. Well, Alana, had, had had it been two guys, had had a guy approached mm-hmm. him and been, would, would you have been a little more okay with it? No, because he should not be able to put his hands on anyone, a man, a woman, whatever. It shouldn't have happened. Of course, you kind of look at it of like, okay, it was a woman, and you're wondering, well, what did she say? Or even if it was a guy, what did he say to him? Like, you want to know what was Kareem's mindset for him to act that way? You know, I don't think the general public, at least especially on social media, I don't think people, a lot, some people would bat an eye right. if, it was, if he just hit another guy. Some right. people would say, you know what? That guy said this to him, and he and he got he got dropped, and that's that's his bad. That's on him. He shouldn't have come up to cream like that. What right. did he expect exactly. was going to happen? Exactly. And there are people that would have been okay with what Cream Hunt did, but it's not okay behavior at, at at any level. Playing football in the National Football League, it, it is a privilege. It's not that these guys did not work hard. It's a, you know, it's not that they should just be happy that they. Uh, we're lucky enough to get to the NFL. They work really hard to get here, but having the platform, being able to to play a sport that they love and get financially compensated, they it is a privilege, and you have to understand with that privilege comes responsibility. You cannot walk around can't walk around society like you. Oh, I'm just Kareem Hunt. Like the you know, the the bullseye is on you because you're an athlete. And unfortunately, we live in a society where to Bill's point earlier, fans and people on social media, they have quicker access to celebrities and athletes. 
if they're mm-hmm. pissed off at an athlete, they can go right to the page. They can tweet at him or her and say whatever. No, no filter, no nothing. It's just whatever they feel like saying, and the athlete or celebrity has to deal with it. Same thing at sporting events. They throw things, they cuss, they curse, they say, you know, they call players and, and people different racial epithets, but that behavior is not okay. But at the same time, it's saying, well, he shouldn't have done that to me, so I had to do something. Like, that just doesn't hold water. Exactly, Kimberly. And when you discussed about platforms and what these players are doing, you know, some of the players like Colin Kaepernick, right? So he used, he used his platform to speak out, to raise awareness about police brutality and being black in America. And he's still out of a job today. And the NFL is not even looking at him whatsoever. You know, they're giving Reuben Foster an opportunity, but not even giving Kaepernick a workout, like with the Redskins. And they'd rather go with Josh Johnson, who last played in the NFL game in 2013. So what's the difference? So when you see the league is giving these players involved with domestic violence a second chance, Kimberly, do you think Colin Kaepernick will ever get his second chance to play in the NFL? At this point, uh, I I don't see it. I don't see it. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I think each, you know, it's almost, you know, I talk with my editors about each week it almost seems like, okay, do, do you want to write something on Kaepernick and, and which team didn't didn't bring him in for a workout today? And it, it's become redundant, right? Because it's been so mm. many examples of teams that have really got, gone on the street and just plucked some random guys that haven't played in so long. But at the end of the day, Colin Kaepernick is not in the league because at least the owners feel like his presence will affect the bottom line. There will be fans who will, and whatever respective team, maybe fans of the entire league or maybe fans for that respective city, who will be up in arms, who will say they're going to boycott, who will say, you know, they don't want this guy on their team, they won't support this team anymore. And to some of these NFL owners, some didn't agree with him protesting during the national anthem, but a lot of them, you know, they care about butts in the seat, you know? Like, this is a business. So... When we had the, the, the protests making national news and you had the president commenting on players and, and calling players, you know, sons of bees and stuff like that, you know, that, that all affects the NFL shield and it affects the brand and it affects the bottom line. So that's why I'm not convinced that he will get another chance because it's been so long. And I think at this point, the evidence is overwhelming that to them, to the owners, it's not worth bringing him in because they don't think the talent outweighs the negativity that will come with it. So, Kimberly, how do you think the NFL can be more consistent when it comes to, you know, the regulations of these actions and and the rules and, and how they handle these things? Because it seems to be that the, only, the NFL only handle, handles these situations when they have some footage or actual video of, of what took place? Yeah, you know, I use the word complicated because my stance on, on violence against women is not complicated. It, it, you know, that's not complicated. But how do you, as a league, get it right? 
And that, to me, is a question that the league still hasn't figured out. And that's what that's what is frustrating. That's why I wrote the column I did for Yahoo Sports, because we had this situation with Ray Rice where there was video evidence that the league was not... It said it couldn't obtain it, wasn't, didn't see it until TMZ put it out, broadcasted it to the world. So I think why people are so frustrated and, and, and angry and confused right now with the Reuben Foster and Kareem Hunt stuff is why, is this, why does the system allow for uh, Foster, who was arrested for the third time this year, why was he allowed to be released from this team and... Within a 24, technically, you know, 24-hour period, have another team put in a claim for him, and and why is, why do we have a system in which other teams could see Foster, and before we have any idea how his court case will be resolved, what punishment, if any, the league will dole out? Why is it that we have a system in place that would allow a team to take a chance? You know, and say, well, before we know all the facts, before we know how, whether, when he's going to play again, we can get him on the cheap. We can have him on our team. If everything pans out, he's not suspended, he's not, he doesn't go to jail, then we have a great player. It's complicated because, you know, are you infringing on, on a person's rights as far as, you know, blocking them from employment if you don't allow them to get picked up again? You know, there are a lot of questions that need to be asked, but the trouble is, the the thing I find troubling is that there is no consistency. It feels like the punishments are arbitrary. It feels like the league, a lot of it is lip service. And at the very least, you want to feel as though the league is committed to doing everything within its power to get all the facts, to talk to all the people involved, and, and, you know, make sure that, that they can figure out what really has happened in each particular situation so that they can give out the, the appropriate punishment. It seems like there's a lack of morality here. It's more either reactive or how do we, you know, how do we protect the shield at all costs? And, um, you know, it's okay to have a racist nickname, you know, uh, like the Washington yeah. team. It's okay to sign a player who's, at multiple battery charges, it's okay to give Josh, uh, you know, the, the the guy, the receiver, um, in Cleveland, oh, who's, now Norley, uh, who's now uh, uh, oh, New Josh England. Gordon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Josh Gordon. It's okay, you know, to bend over backwards to make sure he gets, you know. But when you have somebody, you know, like a Kaepernick or Eric Reed to a lesser extent, mm-hmm. that's pretty much cut and dried. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're just talking about there just seems to be this sort of moral bankruptcy uh, in the league that the league has, has really not come to grips with. Well, Alana and I caught up with students at Xavier Morehouse, some of whom are athletes, to ask them what they think about both situations. Here's what they had to say. Hi, my name is Tyler Lewis. I'm a junior here at Xavier University of Louisiana. I run track and field here at this university, so I'm an athlete. At, and to an athlete standpoint, I feel that the whole situation surrounding uh, Cream Hunt, it was unacceptable. Even as an athlete, as a human being, that's just, you should never put your hands on a female. Um, it should never come to that point where you feel as if you should. And if you feel as if you should need to, then take yourself out of the situation and just walk away because 
having that mindset that touching or putting hands on a, on a woman is just horrible, is wrong. So that whole situation with Kareem Hunt was just a bad, it's just bad. He shouldn't have done that. Um, there's no explanation. There's no valid reasoning for why he thought it was a good thing to do. He said he was drunk, but still, it wasn't. It's not a plausible explanation as to why you put your hands on a female. So. What do you think the NFL should do um, down the line of changing their policies of when they see one of their players act this way and conduct themselves off the field? And if you see that for certain players that they changed, it depends, it varies the outcome for each player because maybe how good they are on the field or their reputation. Um, whether or not they're good on the field or bad on the field, regardless of the whatever it is, um, they should all be reprimanded the same way, and that should be uh, kicked off the team, because that's that's bad. That's a bad look on you as well as the company you work for. It, you can't you can't still do what you love if you do some if you do horrible things. Julian Turner, junior business marketing major, urban studies minor from Columbus, Ohio. I thought he deserved, you know, to be kicked off the team. Especially when I saw the video. Under no circumstances you put your hands on a woman. I mean, definitely under no circumstances you put your feet on a woman. So, (laughs) What do you think the NFL can do, bro? Because it seems like the NFL, you know, is inconsistent with these issues of domestic violence. So what do you think the NFL should do to, you know, put a stop to it? Yeah, I, I think it should. I don't think there should be any gray area as to whether um, you would bring somebody back on the team or not because of something. If you know if somebody's found guilty in in the court of law, then they should be found guilty in the NFL. Um, and then if they haven't been found guilty or innocent yet, you know, I would put them on on leave, kind of how they do with police officers, just you know, administrative leave and. Until they find out something, just so you know, you send a clear message that there's no way of recovering if you, you know, if you do that, you lose your job, regardless of how it happened. If you're found guilty, you lose your job. So, I think that's the level of accountability they should do in the NFL. How how they treat you know how they treat regular um, workers in America. You know, if you put your hands on a woman, you go to jail. So. So, Alana, what was your initial reaction to what the students on your campus said? Um, well, for one, it didn't surprise me with when I sat down with Tyler Lewis. Um, he runs track and fields here at Xavier. He basically the same thing, you know. If you're in the spotlight or being just human, just being a human person on this world, like you should not conduct yourself in that mannerism whatsoever. Um And it doesn't matter if the person calls him the N-word. It doesn't matter what that person said to you. You can go around and just hurting anyone. No, definitely. And and the students I talked to had similar responses. I spoke to a football player, a linebacker, Julian Turner, for the Maroon Tigers. And he he basically said the same thing, you know, that he he was appalled, really, when he first heard the news about Kareem Hunt. And he, he thought that, you know, he, he shouldn't have handled it that way with, with his platform. And we're, we're going to leave the conversation there. Kimberly, we're, we're doing some, some Heisman picks, some Heisman predictions. So this is the first time in history that 
the three top vote getters in the Heisman voting are all uh, quarterbacks are people of, color. of color. Yeah, well, two two are black, and then mm. you got two are from Alabama. Mm-hmm. So maybe and the Tua. question, yeah. because you've been seeing quarterback play in the NFL, you've seen it evolve, and we've all been waiting for this sort of breakthrough where now every team is going to look like the defensive secondary. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that we've reached? Okay. You think we've reached a tipping point between big time college football and the NFL, where now there's going to sort of be a, a deluge of these really talented, athletic quarterbacks coming into the NFL who are black who can kind of do it all. Mm-hmm. I remember writing a story years ago talking to uh, Jets assistant coaches. You know, like Anthony Lynn, who used to be with the Jets, now is the head coach of the Chargers. Uh, Dennis Thurman. You know, guys who talked to me about when they were younger, they wanted to be quarterbacks. And their coaches in high school and coming up would tell them, you can't be a quarterback. You're not smart enough. Or you'd be a better defensive player. Why don't you just be a running back? And, And talking, this is years ago, you know, this is a few years ago that I wrote this story. And to see they were still pained by it in a way Mm. it amazed me that you know these guys who were in their 50s were were told that the position wasn't meant for them Mm. and so when i see Dwayne haskins or kyla murray or tua uh i'm not even going to attempt to say his last name because i'm going (laughs) to butcher it um it it really is great to see because I, i don't think i don't know if people even realize, like not that long ago, this wasn't an option for a lot of a lot of uh, young black young players who wanted to come up and be and, and be quarterbacks. So, to me, I'm all about seeing your reflection. Almost, you know, when when kids, young kids, are playing and they're seeing the Heisman Trophy finalists and they're all people of color. To me, that that is powerful. I think we all want to be what we see. So, if you're not seeing it, if you're not seeing that it's possible, you may not think that you can do it. So so it, it's cool. We're going to leave the conversation there. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. No, thank you guys for having me. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about Freeform TV sitcom, Brownish. Stay tuned. Prince of my city. Grownish is the latest sitcom about college life for black students. It airs on Freeform and is a spinoff of Blackish, a comedy about black upper middle class families. The show follows the college experience of Zoe Johnson and her friends at a made up predominantly white institution in California. Zoe is played by Yara Shahidi, who attends Harvard in real life. She and her friends deal with an array of issues from figuring out sexuality to taking drugs to social media trolls. The second season airs on January 2nd. This time, Zoe moves to an off-campus apartment and nurtures a budding relationship with Luca Hall. He's played by actor Luca Sabbat. Two other actors on the show, Chloe and Halle Bailey, they played Jazz and Sky Foster, recently came to Morehouse to promote the new season. I wrote about it. You can find it on the Undefeated website. The executive producer of the show, Jennifer Rice Gunzuk Henry, said... 
This season is focused on mental health faced by young black students. So let's start there. Alana, what have you heard about the second season? And are you excited about it at all? Um, excited? Um, wouldn't use that word. I've changed my thought about grownish. As you know, it's the offspin of blackish. And when you look at blackish, I loved Yara in there. She really, you know, was a nice side character. But blackish, that was a show where Tracy Ellis Ross, Anthony Dan Anderson had that show on their back. And to see Yara do her own thing with season one, I think season one moved really quickly. So for season two to win me over, they're really going to have to slow down the plot, really flush out some of these great details that they had going on in season one. But I feel like the biggest thing what happened was with their promo video is that they did a redo of the Different World um, intro. And, you know, Twitter took to it, and not a lot of people was feeling it. So it's going to take a lot out of Gronish this season to kind of win me over. When you see Gronish the first season, you, you look at your own, um, you know, you, you guys attend HBCUs. Is it the same? I mean, when you see their depiction, is it accurate or it, does it underline the difference between going to a PWI and HBCU? Well, that's that's a good question because, you know, we, we don't really know what PWI life is like. But I would say that just from, you know, knowing college experience at a PWI or a HBC, HBCU, I know a lot of college students, you know, deal with some of the issues they deal with, but I think Gronish covers them in kind of a Hollywood aspect, so... I don't think that all of the issues and, and topics that they cover are realistic, but some of the, the situations are, you know, in a college setting, and, and those things do take place in a college setting. For me personally, you know, for Gronish, I do think it's realistic. You know, it's college is all about finding who you are, exploring what you like, what you don't like. And to see that um, Zoe, the main character, dealing with drugs and, you know, at an HBCU at Xavier, I know that there some people do talk about it a little bit, but it's not, you know, a big thing on people's mind. It's actually kind of like hush-hush if people are dabbling with drugs. But when I attended NYU for a semester at PWI, the culture, drug culture was completely different. More people were open about it. I remember hearing in the library um, that people were going to go get, um, you know, pills to stay up all night and to so they can complete their assignment. And I was just, you know... It was kind of crazy for me to hear that, you know. So I do think the issues that they are covering, they're tackling them, but they're not flushing them out because I would like to see for the plot for Zoe was, you know, what was these side effects of her taking these drugs? You know, she kind of just went on like, oh, I took the drugs. I'm good. I got my assignment in. But that's not how there's side effects to it. And I wish that they explored that a little bit more. And I know, Mr. Rhoda, I know you were around when a different world was around and a lot of mentioned how they kind of kind of copied the a different world intro for the season two but what would you say the impact a different world had on that time period because i know it did increase um hbcu enrollment a lot yeah yeah i mean i i was around i mean i was around like you know when they were invented <laughs> but, but but i mean i didn't really honestly i didn't really watch a different world but I, I i remember some of the other rodent fellows fellows talked about 
That's why that's why they chose to go to an HBCU because of um, a different world. And in fact, I was going to ask you guys that: Were any of you familiar with the different world? And do you think uh, the comparisons with Grownish and different world and dear white people are, are, are accurate or fair? Well, I, I do know a little bit about the different world, and it's funny because my uncle, who coached at Prairie View, actually was an extra on a different world um, on one of the episodes. So. My family, they, they they watched it, and majority of my family went to HBCU, so I'm sure the show had an impact on, on their college decisions. But in terms of comparing it to Grownish, I think just from the simple fact that A Different World was set at an HBCU, it can't portray the same narrative that A Different World did or uh, Grownish per- tries to portray. I think that's really the main the main difference. And also, truthfully, I don't think you can compare shows. Like, why do we have to compare every black show that comes on that is a success story? Like, why can't they be great in their own way? You see the different worlds that it launched. Their first episode was in 1987. And it's still being talked about today in 2018. And people of my generation are still watching it on Netflix. Like, the different worlds, it was based out of an HBCU made-up college called Hillman College, and that they showcased about a love story, about sororities, about fraternities, being black in a, in a college environment. It highlighted so many great pathways that I don't think another show can really do, um, hopefully, maybe down the line, but the different world is the different world. Don't compare it to something else. I think a different world really was the only show of its kind. We've seen other... HBCU kind of shows, you know, with the quad and, and College Hill, but those shows weren't anything like A Different World. It's kind of hard to compare any other show to that. Why was that so special, do you guys think? Why was was it because it shows the uniqueness of the HBCU experience or because it was just maybe the first of its kind? Um, why why was that so And do you think there could be a, a different world in 2018 at a black college? Mm-hmm. I think it would be tough to have a different world in, in 2018 just because we're we're in a different different day and age. And I think a different world was so different because it had never been, been seen before. You know, it, it opened that door to people who had never heard of an HBCU, white or black or any race. So it, it opened the door and exposed people to what HBCU life and culture is and, and really how important it is. And also, if you look at the writing and how the pr- production of the entire show in entirety, it was there, it was spot on. And you see Dwayne and Whitley of just the love story going between them. It, it There's nothing like the different worlds. And I mean, we could do a reboot. We can make another one. But why? It You know, it's already there. Don't redo something if it doesn't have to be redone. Would you say, Alana, that Grownish mirrors any of the issues that take place on Xavier's campus? I know you said when you were at NYU, you know, you saw some similarities, but what what about Xavier? Would you say that Grownish can kind of compare to the HBCU lifestyle at all? I wouldn't say Xavier mirrors Grownish in any particular way. I think specifically for Zoe, um, of her experiencing life, experiencing other people, um, her whole love story of how she dated Cash 
And, you know, she was in love with him, but Cash didn't want to settle down and this whole thing. But she had Luca on the side and she didn't realize that he was the right guy. So it's going to be interesting in season two of her actually going on that path and understanding that Luca is for her. And I think any woman or man in college, you know, goes through that of trying to figure out their partner, of trying to figure out what they like and dislike with another person. And that's a big part of life. Uh, I'm curious, uh, Alana and Tucker. Um, Alana, I mean, what are the the big things um, going on in your campus, uh, uh, each of your campuses? What are sort of the big issues or, you know, not necessarily a problem, but just, you know, what's what's sort of the big thing on, on each of your campus, Alana? Well, for Xavier, the biggest thing that was talked about was earlier this week, um, we had a midnight breakfast. It's a yearly tradition. Well, it happens every semester where, you know, it starts from 10, ends at midnight, and we get into the cafeteria. Everyone's invited, and we have breakfast. And it's basically, you know, de-stress before finals hit. After the event was over, usually the people who are left in the cafeteria usually help out to clean up. Um, it got out of hand where that the people, uh, students were locked inside of the cafeteria and some of the students got pepper sprayed from police. Um, right now there's an ongoing investigation of what happened, but recently the chief of police of Xavier resigned and two of the campus officers were fired for allegedly uh, pepper spraying the students. So um, it will be interesting on how events like these are being taken care of, of the safety of students being handled in the future. Hmm. What happened? What happened to trigger the, all that? They didn't like the food? Or, you know, the pancakes were burned? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> would say about the food. I think what happens is that it's... Like I said, it was a yearly tradition of... The people who are the last ones to leave um, usually are the ones to help clean up. Now, I've never been part of the cleanup crew, but this is what I've always heard that, you know, you're usually supposed to help out with the staff workers to pick up every plate, um, you know, napkin, because it gets out of hand. The, the cafeteria is filled of, you know, people who live on campus and off campus. Every Xavier Wright is welcome to come to this event, and it's free. Um so for I think for a lot of the freshmen or underclassmen, they didn't know that this was a tradition of like you help out to clean up. And some of the students wanted to leave. And I guess the police officers told them that they couldn't. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Wow. I don't know if we have anything um, as intense as, as midnight breakfast, but I know a lot of students have been been running around campus trying to make sure they they're, they're prepping for finals and getting those finals in because it's finals week. So that's really the main thing that's been happening on campus over here. We're going to leave the conversation there. We'd love to hear your opinions about the show. Tweet us at the undefeated, hashtag Rodenfellows. You can also share any comments or issues you think we should cover. You can also contact us directly. I'm on Instagram at tucht52, that's T-U-C-K-T-5-2. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Alana B underscore. That's underscore A-L-L-A-N-A-B underscore. And you can find me, and my phone number is nice. Oh, sorry. You can find me. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter as well, at W.C. Roden. That's W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. And believe it or not, I'm actually on Instagram. Uh, I don't know what, you know. The, uh, next week, I'll tell you what the how to get me. But that's 
Thank you for listening to HBCU 468, the Road Fellows podcast. This show is produced by our wonderful Aaron Matthewson and Roden Fellow Isaiah George. Special thanks to Tariqa Foster-Brasby and Kyrie Williams. Get all the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as The Plug, The Right Time with Bomani Jones, and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soul fuller at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.